Welcome to the Recruiter Startup School podcast. My name's Dulta Doherty, and in this podcast series, I'll be interviewing investors, advisors, and entrepreneurs in the agency recruitment world. We'll be showing you how to set up, scale, and operate a world-class recruitment business. And this week, we're in for a real treat. I'm interviewing none other than James Osborne, who is a well-known investor and advisor and non-exec to multiple, multiple agency recruitment firms here in the UK. He runs the Recruitment Network, which is a collaborative forum of recruitment entrepreneurs and uh, where they seek out best practices and he's an advisor to many of them. And here is his story. Hope you enjoy. Hello. Hi, James. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Uh, welcome. Right. Excellent. So you're, you're on a speaker. Let me just check. This is okay. Is it a speaker? Is it? Okay. Okay. Sorry. Carry on, Dulcie. Sorry. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the Recruiter Startup School. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah. All, all is good in the south of England here. Excellent. So really excited to get you on here. Uh, mainly to pick your brain on all the wonderful people that uh, you're helping. And uh, we'll get to that a bit later. But uh, can you kind of give us a bit of an insight into how you got into recruitment? Yeah, sure. So I was, um, I was living over in Australia at the time. I went over to Australia to, I was actually teaching scuba diving and sailing and living on a boat in the Whitsunday Islands in the north of Australia and ended up moving down to Sydney and working on some boats on the harbour in Sydney. Um, cut a long story short, went into a recruitment company to get a temp job. Um, ended up working actually in that recruitment company as a temp and that went very well. So they stay on and they sponsored me which was lovely um and then just did very well there and sort of moved up through the ranks over a period of time which was really great um i was then brought across and worked for a lady called therese rain who is the wife of uh the ex-prime minister over there kevin rudd um so worked with her for a number of years which was really exciting really so i suppose in essence i sort of fell into recruitment which i think a lot of people tend to do i think personally choose at the time to be a recruiter um, sort of fell into it, but fell in love with it at the same time. And uh, Kevin Rudd back then, what was his position then? Kevin Rudd, uh, well, he he was, um, at the time, he was going for Parliament. So he was um, in the government, um, becoming Prime Minister. It was his wife that I had the, had the business, so yeah. I worked for her. Um, and she had a number of government contracts, so uh, ended up working sort of quite high level with some really interesting people in the, in the sort of Australian government and New South Wales. That's so interesting. Um, yeah, it was really fascinating, actually. And at quite a young age as well, it really exposed me to some fascinating insights that probably I wouldn't have naturally got um, otherwise. So she, she was a real mentor for me and a real inspiration, I have to say. And uh, I started in Australia as well. And I got to a stage in my life where I, I don't know, I think my wife really wanted to get, get back to Europe and get a bit closer to family. What, what brought you back? Well, exactly the same reasons. I think you know, we've been there for about seven or eight years and... Um, I think we decided that we wanted to have a family and you know, our friends were getting married and having kids and that sort of thing. And it just felt, felt like the right time, really. I think, you know, you realize Australia is quite a long way away. 
um, especially when it comes to sort of family and friends and that type of stuff. So I think we had we had a great time there and you know, loved the place. Um, but it just felt the right time for us, from a family point of view, to come back to the UK and uh, and start the next stage of our life. And what was recruitment like back then? In, in Australia, which... yeah, it was it was a very different sort of market. I mean, the um, you know one of, one of the things I did notice about the Australian recruitment market a lot a lot of the business is done at a very personal level. Um, you, I think with the Australians, quite rightly so, they really want to know you that, that you have to build a real rapport and trust with them before they're willing to do business with you. So a lot of the recruitment was very much done um, based on a personal level. So really a lot of meeting and greeting and spending a lot of time in front of people rather than more the transactional sitting behind an email or, or a phone type stuff. So it really, it sort of really forced me to get out and see customers and learn the art of getting in front of customers and spending time with them, building rapport and all that sort of good stuff, which I think is a really important part of the, of the recruitment the, process. The first call to an Australian client is a bloody nightmare. You, they, <laughs> they just, they're so abrupt, they're so rude, they tell you where to go. The second call is pretty, they, they know who you are, they're a bit, they're a bit okay. The third, uh, you get the meeting, and then once you meet them, you're in, and they are the best people to be in with. That was my business experience there. Yeah, I, I'm not sure they're always that rude and abrupt, well, but you know, they. I, I, th- I think. I, well, I think. Well, maybe, but I think about the Aussies. I mean, I mean, they, they say yeah. it as it is. You know, there's, there's generally there's no messing around with Australia, which I quite yeah. like. You know, because at least you know where you're up to with them and that type mm-hmm. of stuff, really. So, but you know, I mean, we we found a lot of the business that we did came through building networks and building you know, communities and referrals mm-hmm. and that type of stuff more so than the classic sort of cold yeah. calling it's, stuff. It's funny, like I, I've recruited in Canada as well, and it was completely the opposite. They were absolutely entertain your call and they'll absolutely have a meeting but they mightn't give you any business so you don't really see yeah, right you don't really know where you stand I, I actually preferred the australian model myself as well yeah sure so uh so, so you moved back to england and you, you didn't stay yeah. in in the full thrust of agency recruitment then did you kind of took a bit of a change in your career yeah, I, th- I think, you know, I think one of the things I really enjoyed when I was working in recruitment, especially at sort of leadership level in, in Australia, was I, I enjoyed the sort of helping people, the guidance, the advice, the training, the coaching, um, the strategic stuff and that sort of thing. So I, I, when, I, when I came back to the UK, moving down to Bath in the West Country, because I didn't really, um, I thought moving from Sydney to London would be a bit too much of a heavy transition. So I, was, I thought I'd go somewhere very quintessentially English like Bath. And when I came back, I just thought, you know, what, what do I really enjoy doing? And I thought actually going down the route of more coaching, mentoring, training, advising um, multiple recruitment companies was um, multiple companies, not just in recruitment for that matter, um, was, was more in, in line with what I really enjoyed in Australia. So I felt that was a natural transition. So I, that's what I ended up setting up my first company, which is uh, Energy. Uh, which still exists today, actually, and we, you know, we work with lots of different organisations. There's a real variety in there, which is good. And you know, I did enjoy it. When, when I was selling in recruitment in Australia. I did enjoy the idea of going to multiple different types of organisations, different styles of businesses, really getting to understand their business and all, all that type of stuff. Which I suppose, in essence, is a lot of what we do now as, as sort of advisors and uh, non-exec directors. Yeah, I, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to this stuff as well, and just love getting in, getting into all the granular of it. And so, so you did, you did that. You did that for you still have that company. Yeah. How did the how did how did that lead into what you're up to now? Yeah, so it, basically I mean I mean we have 
you know, the energy was has been going for years, and it's a good business. And you know, we work with such a, a multitude of different types of clients. Um, from, you know, sort of, we work with banks, law firms, pub chains, a real variety. But obviously, because my background was in recruitment, we naturally gravitated towards recruitment companies as well, because um, it's a market that we understood. So it got to a point where, you know, a big chunk of our client base were recruitment companies. Um, so we decided, um, well, cut a long story short, it went through a few metamorphoses on the way. But um, about 18 months, two years ago, we decided to sort of create a brand which is purely dedicated to the recruitment sector. So we're just talking everything recruitment. Um, and that's where the recruitment network came about, which... Um, as I say, we launched that. Um, well, we launched it sort of unofficially two years ago, officially about eighteen months ago, um, and that's just the the key part of our business that's just grown significantly since then. Can you can you tell us what uh, what you do there exactly? What do you provide to these companies, and who what what type yeah, of companies? Well, yeah, very much so. So, I mean, it's, it's a very simple model, actually, but it just seems to work incredibly well, which we're pleased about. The, um, you know, our, our sort of objective is very simple. So we work with recruitment organizations of any size, so whether it be startup through to uh, an organization that's got two, 300 staff. Um, and our job is to help them outperform the market, maximize their profitability um, and maintain a significant competitive edge in what is a fairly saturated or, or busy marketplace. Um, and we do that through a whole host of different things. So the, the process that we have is is built around advisory services and consultancy. So um, rather than doing that one to one as as in a typical sort of non exec director environment, we have one to many. So we have a club that um, our recruitment leaders join. They become a member of the club, and that allows them to access sort of myself and our advisory team, um, plus a load of other um, industry experts and entrepreneurs that are sort of hanging out with us and who are friends of the network. Let me take you uh, back and, just a step, uh, just in case yeah. people don't know. What, what is a non-exec exactly, and what are they providing? Yeah, sorry. So, so a non-exec director is um, basically an external advisor that sort of is parachuted into a company um, and provides external advice on how to grow a business. So um, there are formal non-exec relationships where you actually sit on their board. There are informal ones where you almost like a, a consultant that comes in once a month or once a quarter, depending on what the needs are. And, job, and your job really is to, as an outsider, looking at everything that you see going on in the market, advising a, a company on how, what they should be doing, what probably they shouldn't be doing, and how to get more out of their business and make sure they're on the right growth plans, whatever that growth plan might be. So it's really an advisory role at the end non-exec director title i think is a bit a bit of a funny title really because um i think a lot of recruitment organizations just need support and advice and make mistakes that other people have made in the past um, and our job is really to help them advise them with that um, but what we try and do as our advisory service is not just talk about stuff and give them advice is actually help them implement it afterwards so it's very much a sort of a roll your sleeves up let's get involved let's not just talk about the strategy let's actually help you drive the strategy implement the strategy and so on and so forth so that's pretty much what an NED and, does and when somebody comes to you I, I, the most common thing that people ask me and I'm, I'm not an expert but I tend to get these questions is you know what 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 models what models would, would work for my business should it be a 180 or, or a 360 um, should I yeah. be doing remote? Which desks should I take? What, like all this type of stuff? How do you advise them which is right for them? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's an interesting market. There's a lot of advisors in the recruitment sector, a lot of very good advisors um, in the recruitment sector doing what we do. Um, everyone has their own 
way of working, their own opinions of what's best, what doesn't work, what does work. And probably they all hold their own merit in some some way. So, you know, we naturally always sway to the one that we think is better. Um, but for me, you know, I, I have personal opinions about which models I think are better, um, which we'll talk about in a second. But I think it really depends on the company themselves. There isn't a one one size fits all strategy or way of working in recruitment. There are some, definitely some very clear um sort of threads that every recruitment company should follow but but typically really there's different models that work for different people in different industries and different markets and different stages of your growth as well um personally i'm quite a big fan of you, know, you mentioned the 180 360 model 180 being you know you're either a recruiter finding filling jobs or you're a salesperson finding the jobs um or the th- versus a 360 model where you're doing both mm. i'm personally a bit of a fan of the former you know, the 180 model um, I like to separate sales and delivery because I think when you separate sales and delivery, then you've got people who are focused on doing what they are good at doing, what they enjoy doing, um, and they become better at it because they, they have one line of focus rather than trying to do multiple things and be good at sort of everything. Um, having said that, there are some really amazing 360 consultants out there and there's some great recruitment companies out there who um, very successfully manage the 360 models. So that doesn't always work. Um, it's just a person thing. I quite like that the 180 model is, is one that I generally try and push people towards more. Yeah, it, it definitely works more for contract. Uh, and you only have to look at the companies in America and the tenure of, of the people that stay there. Generally, people will stay a bit longer in firms in America, in my experience, based on the fact that the people who are doing delivery don't have to sell and the people who are happy to sell probably are getting paid more money but are under more stress in order to bring stuff in so it's a yeah I, I, I think i think it evolves as the markets evolve as well and i think it, a lot of this depends on a number of different things you know something for example you know if you're in a candidate short marketplace which a lot of people are in a lot of certainly in the uk if you look at the uk market you know there's a lot of people who are uh, we're in a candidate type market it's a lot harder to find mm. candidates so really, you know, it's, I think it's easier to bring on jobs now than it's ever been. I think it's a lot harder to fill jobs than it's ever been. Um, so actually, I'd rather, if I've got a recruiter whose job is to fill jobs and you know, make conversion ratios increase and that type of stuff, that's all I really want them to be doing. And I think when we start distracting them sometimes with sales KPIs that either they haven't got really time to do or they don't really want to do or they're not even very good at it, um, it seems a bit flawed strategy to have people doing something that probably is taking away from what we really need them to do is converting more of the jobs that they've currently got. And, uh, and, and how do you go about advising who should do which system? Well, it, it really, again, it depends on a whole lot of different things. It depends on where they are in their, in their sort of growth. Um, you know, some recruitment companies are at very different stages of their growth plans. Some are trying to build up a business which has equitable value that they might want to create some event no, for in a few years time you know either sell it or do a management buyout or whatever it mm. might be um some people are trying to create just a very nice lifestyle business so it sort of depends on what you want to create one of the words i use a lot in recruitment companies when i'm sort of talking to them is about how you create something that's sustainable mm. um, and sustainability i think has a number of different translations depending on where you are in your sort of growth um but often it means you know from my point of view is that you've got people who are turning machines that sort of just almost like function when people aren't there so you've got a good solid recruitment machine that's that's turning and finding talents and finding truffles and you no know, filling jobs that sort of stuff and then there's a good sales machine out there which is continuously attracting and bringing in the right quality and types of business that's um and how do we use technology in order to supplement and improve 
that process without taking away from the, the human element. Yeah, well, I think I think you use a pertinent word there, which is how do we use technology as opposed to how do we avoid technology? You know, there, there is a bit of a fear factor out at the moment of that, you know, technology might replace recruiters in the future. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure that's quite true, um, but we need to be utilising the technology because people are using the technology. There's more different types of recruitment tech coming into the market every day. You know, we get we, we get a via, we have an investment business where we help raise you know, capital for and funding for recruitment companies or, and or recruitment tech for that matter. Um, and we're approached continuously with people saying, I've got this idea, this new technology that will replace the need to use recruiters, all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm not sure that's necessarily true, but having said that, it is a busy market and our customers and you know the clients that we're, that we're recruiting technology as a way of um, supporting and growing and making their recruitment processes more efficient. So I think we need to embrace technology. We need, certainly need to understand what's out there in the market because everyone else is you know, looking at it. Um, and I don't think we need to be afraid of it, but we just need to embrace it. And I think the other thing we need to be a little bit careful of is that we don't overuse technology because there is a lot of tech out there. Um, and they're all, you know, as they come on, on board, they're all very nice, shiny, new, new bits of things that we can play with. If you end up with too many things, you end up actually not doing anything properly. So my, my advice always is to use technology as a way of improving the way that you deliver a personalized service and make it more efficient, more effective, you know, enable you to find candidates and talent pools and markets that other places that other people can't find. Um, but don't do too, don't use too much of it. Just use the stuff that's going to help have a return on investment for your time. And uh, a, fr- a friend of mine asked me a question and it's probably much, much better to ask you it. Um, he wanted to know, like, how does he set his recruitment company apart in terms of employer branding rather than, like, just being yes. one of many out there? And I think it's a question anybody listening who runs a recruitment company is going to want to listen to the answer. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a really fascinating piece, right? And the, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the Seth Godin concept when he talks about sort of the purple cow effect about how do you be a purple cow in a sort of a crowded marketplace with black and white cows. And, you know, I think, you know, we, we, we hear of organizations spending hours and hours in boardrooms and, and debating their USPs, their points of difference, their differentiators. We then spend a fortune on different websites and different branding mechanisms to make us different and look different from everybody else. Um, we've even got some recruitment companies to sort of try and take out the word recruitment and, from their brands to make them sort of stand out as they're not even recruitment companies, they're different, you know, that sort of thing. And I think ultimately, you know, recruitment is recruitment. It's not that difficult. It's not that complicated. Um, the only USP any real recruitment company ever has, I think, is is the actual measurable and very tangible difference that they make to their customers. So I think we need to spend more time not trying to come up with USPs and points of difference. I don't think our customers really care about that, to be honest. I think we need to spend more time talking about the very measurable return on investment and impact that we've made to candidates and clients. Um, as we're working with them. So that's the focus for me. And I love I love it when recruitment companies are producing really meaningful data about the impacts they have on the entire ecosystem um, for their clients. So not only their ability to find great talent, their ability to for that talent to um, get to speed quickly and be more effective when they get in that role, um, the impact that we have as recruiters on retention of their talent, that to me is the impact that a recruiter can make. And that's the stuff I think we should be talking about more. And that's, that to me is really the differentiator. What gets, what gets you excited when somebody comes to you for investment? What type of, what type of person, what type of company? You see, you mentioned you have a vehicle that, uh, that facilitates that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily investment. I think it's when people just come to us generally looking to do something with their business. I, I get very inspired by, I get very inspired by the entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism of the recruitment sector. I think it's a wonderful industry. I think there's some really fascinating, um, forward-thinking companies out there doing some really interesting stuff. Um, I love the energy and the the fact that people are very passionate about what they're doing, uh, and very passionate about making a, a quite a significant difference in the marketplace. So that's that gets me really excited. Whether that's them looking for investment, or just looking for advice, looking for guidance, they're looking for whatever it might be. Um, I just love hanging out with the sector because it's such an entrepreneurial sector, um, and because there's no real barriers of entry to entry in the recruitment sector, anyone can be really get into recruitment and run a recruitment company or, or be a recruiter. Um, it means there's so many new, fresh ideas coming into the into the market all the time, and that just keeps it really buoyant and really forward moving. Mm-hmm. And I think as an industry, because it's such an important part of the global economy, you know, our, you know the impact that we make to the economy is significant. Um, I think it's fascinating watching how far how fast that's evolving at the moment and how recruiters and the recruitment industry itself is having a significant impact not only on um, talent in the industry and, and globally but also the economy globally as well out of the types of members that that you mentioned are, are in the network the one that i tend to find myself working with as a rector a bit more is the high growth firms and um, mainly because just the owners tend to excite me and and I think I think the opportunity is great if, uh, if if nobody's in the seat already and they're being built built for a sale at some stage. There's going to be new offices. There's going to be new opportunities for whoever we're dealing with, and mm. uh, and it's a real way for people to fast track their career. What do you think sets those companies apart from other firms? Like what are you what are you seeing what are you seeing in the way that they run their business and their their vehicle? Yeah, I, th- I think just just to touch on one point with that, you know, I think you need to clarify the definition of what a high growth firm is. Um, so, I, so I, in, in my in my in my head, it, yeah. it, most of them are their leaders have left S three in the last ten years. They're they they've got a HQ in London. They're, they're they're putting they're putting an office in New York. They're putting an office in Hong Kong. They're putting they're putting a few different offices around the place, and they're they're hiring they're hiring in a responsible. A uh, profitable but aggressive way, and um, yeah. built for scale. Yeah, I th- well, I think I think that's that's a good definition. But I think also let's not forget those recruitment companies that don't want don't have international aspirations. Sure. And, you know, actually just want to maximise what they've got and do a better job. Um, I, I still consider that to be a high growth company from a profit point of view, as opposed to necessarily a, a sort of volume of staffing perspective. But I think um, you know what, what are the what are these sort of the, the one the recruitment companies that seem to be moving forward along a journey, whatever that journey is for them. The ones that seem to be moving the, forward the fastest, I think. Um, I think more than anything, the ones who are absolutely fixated on the importance of people within their business. Um, you know, no no business in the world, recruitment company or otherwise, can grow without the right talent, um, with the right without the right recruiters. No business can grow unless you've engaged that talent properly, unless you are maximising the efficiency and return on investment on that talent. Um, and those people in the business feel like they are moving forward as well, aligned with the company growth. So, you know, I, I love I love those recruitment leaders out there who seem to spend, you know, 90 percent of their time working with their people as opposed to working on the strategy. Mm. Um, and that to me, I think, is quite a big difference. You know? And there are some wonderful leaders out there in the recruitment sector who seem to do that so, so well, who are, you know, I was talking to uh, one of our members fairly recently. He's got a great business, absolutely superb. And they... Um, 
you know, he every single day will take one of his staff members out for lunch every day. Um, always has done and will continue to do so. And it's, just, it's that fixation on your people, I think, is, is absolutely critical because it doesn't really matter how good your strategy is. If you haven't got the right people to deliver on that, um, it, it isn't going to work, ultimately. So um, I think number one is that. And I think the other thing I will say is I think as an industry, and I was chatting to um, one of my non-exec directors, actually, on, on our board, Graham Puffy-Smith, fairly recently, and we're just talking about how the market is, you know, one of the things that we're seeing a lot of in the market is that profit, profit, profitability is being... Um, whilst revenue and growth is, is definitely there for a lot of organisations, the actual bottom line profit is being squeezed a lot more than it's ever Really, been. in terms of uh, temp businesses and firm businesses? Well, both. And I'm not talking about GP. I'm talking about bottom line profit. Sure, yeah. Because I think... I think because what's happening is the, the cost of acquisition, the cost of getting candidates and that type of stuff is has increased because it's harder. Um, and we have to do a lot more to find candidates. So the time, the resource taken to do that has increased, which then obviously has an impact on people's capacity and also squeeze on profits. Um, so I do find, going back to the question, I do find the, the recruitment companies that seem to be growing better than anybody else are the ones... We have quite a quite a solid fixation on bottom line profitability growth as much as that vanity piece at the top, which is about turnover. Um, and they seem to really be fixated, fixated on that. And then consequently, they've got their staff focused on profitability. And I love it when a consultant is thinking about um, off, off their own back, what am I going to do to try and improve this margin by half a percent? Mm. Or what am I going to do to try and reduce the amount of time it takes to recruit in this type of role? by 15% over the next six months, you know, and improve efficiencies. And when, when you start, everyone starts thinking like that, the business grows because it's profitable and not necessarily because it's sort of turning over lots of money, which are two different things. And uh, talk to me about a company's vision. How does a, how does a leader in, inspire, inspire his staff? Like, wh- how, how does he communicate that vision? Of... Yeah, this is something we've been doing a lot of recently, actually. And I think, you know, a lot of this has been driven by, you know, Simon Sinek, who came out with that concept of the golden circles, mm-hmm. you know, start with the why. I don't know if, if, if any of you listening to this, certainly um, look it up on YouTube and listen to Simon Sinek's um, sort of presentation on TED about um, how you start with the why. And I think it's a big part of it is that I think especially with, you know, the changing, changing demographics we have in people who work for our businesses, you know, whether you call them millennials or whatever, doesn't really matter. But I think a lot more people are more interested in the purpose motive rather than the profit motive. And I think a lot of organizations, are, a lot of leaders and businesses are better off focusing on getting people bought into the purpose motive of the business, the why we do what we do. Um, we're knowing that if we do that, the profit motive will follow. Mm. And I think, you know, a lot of, you know, often you see a lot of sort of classic AGMs where we sit down in a nice fancy hotel somewhere, get a bottle of wine out or two and get all the staff together and we go, right, guys, next year we're going to increase turnover by 24%. We're going to turn over, you know, 7.8 million or whatever the number is. And everyone gets really excited, goes and has a few drinks and back to the office the next day, nothing's really changed because they're not really bought into the profit motive as much. I think people need to be bought into the purpose motive as much as anything else. It has to be aligned with the profit motive and there has to be profit there, obviously. Um, but I think a lot of people, especially at sort of desk level, I get more excited by what the business is, what it's doing, the impact it's making, the impact they're personally making. Is it making a difference? Um, and getting that piece right, which I think is, is really good. And does that come back to uh, the impact they're making on, on the candidates they place and they improve their circumstances? Or is it how they... Yeah. 
like how, how does how do you communicate that piece? I, I... Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, I, I I sometimes get laughed when I laughed at when I say this, but you know, I'm one one thing I do definitely believe in, and it's absolutely true, is that when when we place a candidate, we do make a transformational difference to their lives. Um, we we really really do, you know. And I've had candidates that I've worked with years ago that I've placed years ago, who I still talk to today, mm. who have moved up the ranks in businesses. And you, you don't take the credit for that, but you certainly had an impact on their life and their ability to get there. And I think that's really really powerful. And I think sometimes when when we become very KPI sales driven all the time, I think sometimes we lose sight of this sort of that impact that we make. And then it becomes a bit like a machine that we're just churning, yeah. as opposed to we're actually making a difference as an industry. Now, you know, d- don't get me wrong, you know, I'm very much focused about creating profitability and driving growth and all that type of stuff from the bottom line. Um, but I want people to enjoy the jobs. I want people to feel passionate about what they do. And I want people to deliver a service that, which is above and beyond everyone else, because that is a USP. You know, if you're delivering a service that is transformational and people are talking about you and referring business to you, that drives profitability and growth. So I think, I think that start with the why piece is a really important And communicating that why, as a, I mean, not, not every leader is going to take everybody for lunch every day, but is there any other ways no. that they can go about that? Is that, a, is that a weekly meeting? Is it a one-on-one? How, how, yeah well there's loads of ways really i mean i mean communicating it is, is pretty simple you just keep talking about it and reminding people all the time um when you're doing things like appraisals and performance reviews with people you know we don't just focus on did you do the activity where you 10 percent above target five percent below all that type of stuff you're talking about that but on top of that you're talking about the behaviors that people are demonstrating the values that they're living by um, asking them for you know, dem- demonstrative proof of where they've delivered on those things because that's the stuff that drives the performance and everything else. You know, there's one, there's one recruitment company that we've done some work with who um, they don't pay their consultants commission based on their billings and they base it on their net promoter score. So based in essence on the feedback they get from their customers. Um, they're a very successful, fast-growing recruitment company, um, definitely outperforming a, a big chunk of the marketplace. Mm. And I think that's really cool, really, because it's basically saying, look, not only are we going to talk about it's important to have a, a purpose and deliver a great quality service, we're actually going to make it as one of the ways our business is, one of the sort of the models our business is built around. And that's, how you, that's what you get paid by. And that's really powerful. I think. Yeah, that, that's excellent. Okay, James, so uh, how do people reach out to you? How, how can... How can we join the network if we if we want to? What type of events are you going to be running in the UK and Ireland? And, and yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, we, we we run probably about eight or nine events every month at the moment. We have our, obviously our member specific events, then we also have other stuff that we do. We run taster sessions every month, so we invite sort of thirty or forty recruitment leaders to come along and just experience what it is that we do. Um, we are launching an international platform um, in a few weeks' time, so we will be taking the entire concept of the network internationally, which we're really excited about, yeah. which is great. But re- really, for us, you know, we're, we're not we're not people who go out and sort of try and bang the phones and do hard sales. I think when if you're going to spend some time with an advisory business, whether it be a non-exec director or a network like ours, I think what's really important is that you've got to um, trust trust them you've got to have a a network that you're happy to be challenged by and that type of stuff so i think it's important for people to just come hang out with us and experience what we do 
and if they like it and it fits for them and, and we think we can help them and, and vice versa, then we'd love to invite them into the network and get involved with what we're doing. If, if, it's, if it's not right for them or it's not the right time for them, then that's absolutely fine. But I think the, the starting point really for us is people just come and experience what we do. So we offer taster sessions. We have a whole load of tools and documentation and guides and, and free stuff that we give away all the time. So if anybody needs anything, and they can come and ask us for it. And, and often what we just ask the people, if you've got a, a challenge in your business, or you want to have a chat, or you want to meet up in an office and we'll just talk about some of the things that you're doing, maybe not doing, there's no charge for that. It's not a sales pitch. It's actually, look, if we can help you, we will. We love the industry from that point of view. And if you find that we're adding a value to you there and then, you might want to hang out with us longer and get involved with the network and meet all the other members and, and get cracking, really, and then go on a bit more of a formalized journey moving forward. Well, we covered some of mine in this half an hour uh, interview. So, uh I'm going to have to go and re-listen to it to digest it all and get <laughs> get get the best get the best bits out. But uh, thanks so much. I mean, I, I could talk to you about this type of stuff all day, but I appreciate uh, not everybody wants to wants to go into all the detail that I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I mean, I, I've really enjoyed this. You know, and I, I love the industry. I really do. So I could talk about it for hours and hours and hours, as you can probably guess. But you know, if, if people want to contact us, and you know, if they go to our website, recruitmentnetwork.com. Um, have a look around. They can contact us directly. Um, love to have a chat with them. And whatever we can do to help, we certainly will do um, because we, we love what we're doing and we love the entrepreneurism of the industry. And if we can help keep it growing, then we will do so. So I think what you're doing here with these podcasts is brilliant because I think you know, all the different people you're talking to gives lots of advice and little snippets that hopefully one or two people will take and implement and it will make some impact on their business moving forward. And it gets me to talk to awesome people like you. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Good to chat to you. Cheers. Thank you.